I thought since um, Drew and Hunter used the whiteboard the last couple weeks, I'm going to break that out today. It's been a while. Well, good morning. My name is Brian. It's, uh, I think I got to meet most of you guys, but it is good to be together this morning. And uh, I get the, the joy and the honor to be able to uh, teach alongside Drew here uh, in, in this church and, and to uh, share God's word with you this morning. I'm excited about what God has for us. If you uh, are here for the first time, um, we are moving through the book of Joshua. It's in the Old Testament. It's the, the sixth book in the Bible, so if you just go to the beginning of the Bible and work your way through the first couple of books, you'll, you'll land into Joshua. Um, but this is a time every week that, that we want to surrender and enter into uh, and be shaped by the Word of God. We just believe it's, it's an anchor. It's, it's a place where truth is found, and the Holy Spirit teaches us so much as we do that. Um, and so as we... Uh, continuing the story of Joshua, we're in Joshua chapter 8. If you don't have your own Bible, the blue Bible's at the end of each row. Take that. It's yours. Take it home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Um, and last week, uh, Drew walked us through the story of the Battle of Ai. Uh, the, the children of Israel have just faced uh, their first moment of, of defeat, of sin, in the Promised Land. And this is kind of the, the part two of what, what that looks like. Of that battle, and, and I've titled this sermon this morning, A People Shaped Through Obedience. Um, obedience is a topic that has brewing, been brewing, I think, from, if you've been with us, from the first chapters of Joshua. That as um, the, the people of God step into what he has for them, are, are the title that we've given this whole series is that we're learning, and they were learning to align their hearts with the God of promise that the previous generation wandered, and, and now it was up to them to see, are they going to believe and trust and lean into the promises of God and His power to, to protect them and be with them? And in the passage last week, we found the children of Israel in the valley of Achor. And if you look at that word Achor, it actually means the valley of trouble, uh, the valley of disaster. It doesn't sound like a place we'd want to leave off. It doesn't sound like a place would be, but I think we all could say we've been there. We can all relate to a place of, of pain, of sin, of failure. And I think the question that we're kind of leaning into today that I've been wrestling with and just, just pondering is, is how do they respond? We get to see in chapter 8, what does it look like? Are they going to lean into obedience, into trusting God? Or like the previous generation, are they going to wander? Are they going to complain are they going to forget what God has called them into? Uh, so I thought I could illustrate it this way. Uh, the Taylor household, so I have three girls, um, three children under four. And uh, oftentimes I think you could describe the, the layout of our house as the valley of disaster or the valley of trouble. If you walked in after, uh, honestly, it doesn't take long. After they've woken up and they've gotten into the toys, um, it can be just chaos. Toys can be everywhere and um, I love the imagination that a toy kitchen gives my children. I love the free meals that they can make me anything and just to see them just like play restaurant and all of that. But I despise, I, I, I can't stand all the little pieces that are part of that. 
all the little, little like pieces of fruit and plates and everything that it almost feels like sometimes they just dump the whole kitchen on the ground and that's just how they want to start their day. Um, I love, um, you know, I love the, the way in which a puzzle can really just like grow a children's like con- cognitive, just like learning and all of that. But man, all the pieces. And if you ever have to step on one, that's like so painful. The ones, the little pieces that stick up. Um, if you don't, if you're a parent in your room, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's it's chaos, and, and what we've been working on and teaching, trying to step into, is that if you make the mess, you need to start cleaning up. Like, you need to, to learn that, like, you created this, this mess in the house, so start picking up and cleaning up. And they are, are trying to learn how to, to obey, how to, to take, take action in what they know they're supposed to do, and it is just, like, agonizing watching them. They all of a sudden will say, I am so tired. They'll tell you, I am so tired. They need, they, need, they need mommy and daddy's help. They can't do it without help. They'll pick up a toy, uh, the first toy that they go to clean up, and then they'll realize that they want to play with that toy instead of clean, and so they get distracted so easily. They, there's, there's, like, playlists out there that are specifically, like, clean-up songs, and so 10, 15 songs of just about cleaning up. That comforts me because it's like, okay, I'm not the only one with this struggle that, that the kids need songs to learn how to do this. I think what I'm getting at is there is this, this, this clear, like even moments where they're just like, no, I don't want to do that. There's this clear tension that is felt in those moments where we're, we're rooting for them to, to step into what they know they're supposed to do, to step into taking that first step to pick up that Barbie and put it in the basket, um, to, to not be selfish in that moment and, and expect other people to clean up after them. You, so as parents, we, we long for that because we know that obedience is possible. Like we know that obedience is not only possible, it's good for them. Like we, we know that it's not only good for them, but cleaning up the chaos in our house actually makes way for, for more freedom that we get to enjoy together. That, that it makes room for them to run and it makes room for us to enjoy time together. So we're, we're cheering for them to step into it, and if only they just know, would like, like I'm just like playing out in my head, like the lifelong journey that this is going to be, like this is just a, a small picture of what we all kind of struggle with. That's a funny illustration to, to think about as a child, but if we're honest, like those, there's areas of obedience in our life that we have that, the same kind of response or the same kind of delay, the same kind of pain. And we have that moment to either do what's right or to step into disobedience. I think, as I said, that's, that's a tension we find the Israelites. That's just, I wonder, all that was going on in their heads. So let me pray. We'll continue it in this, um, this message. God, I, I thank you for um, the way that you have um, just brought us together this morning, the way that your word shapes us. God, I pray as we um, see the story of the Israelites, a real moment in history, uh, a real reminder of your faithfulness, of your call to follow you, uh, and that, that that's what's best for us. I pray that we would learn, uh, that we would see ourselves in the story of the Israelites, that we would see the same faithful God of the Old Testament that uh, continues to be the God we can follow and trust today. In your name, amen. Um, yeah, and so, so I was saying, this, this topic's been brewing for a while, and I think it's a cool opportunity to really kind of step into a topic of obedience, but it's honestly not something that we like to talk about. 
for some reason, in Christianity, it's not a, a popular thing that we love to talk about. I remember as a kid, uh, the songs are still in my head, in my mind, O, B, E, D, I, E, N, C, E. You know, I remember singing about obedience, but as I got older, that was something that, like, I was like, I don't really want to, you know, sing that song anymore. Uh, I do think it's something that we need to live out more and something we aren't always excited about. But uh, in our Christian culture, we love to talk about the love of God. We love to talk about the grace of God. We love to talk about his forgiveness towards our failure, and we very much should, and we do, and that's what we proclaim so frequently on Sunday morning and in this time together. We emphasize that God is a God of relationship and not of rules. But as we read passages like this in the Old Testament, it's helpful to also like realize that God is also calling people into like obedience. He's calling them to, to follow his instruction. He's calling them into action. I think we, we can be afraid of this thing called legalism within Christianity, that, that there's this, this maybe uh, mindset that we would have that we would just be all about what we do, like achieving God's favor, and that's definitely not a place that we want to be, but we've almost kind of like swung so far the other way, where it's just like embrace your failure, you can, you can do what's wrong, and God's always going to forgive you, and, and we don't enough call one another or take ourselves to a place where, okay, it's really time to, t- to take a step of obedience. It's really time to, to not continue in that sin that, that's just kind of got a place in your heart. Um, and so that's, that's where we're at with that, that topic. And I think as we um, kind of have seen that happen, I, I do think we've lost maybe the beauty of what obedience is in, in God's Word, um, in the Christian life, in the way that God shapes us through daily walking with Him in conformity. Like he, he longs to shape us. So that's why I said it's a, a people being shaped through obedience. Psalms 1 describes a beautiful uh, tree sitting next to a river of water. It's rooted um, next to this water, and it grows, and it has fruit. And it starts, it says, uh, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And it says, But his delight is in the law. Of the Lord, in, in the ways of God, and the, the ways in which he calls us to, to, to pattern our life after him. Samuel, Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 10 says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And, you know, I think uh, just to further this, it's, it's countercultural to think in this way that, that, the, that the world, I think it says that flourishing looks like no, no rules, um, absolute freedom, Whatever you want to do, you, you are going to flourish in your life if you have just no boundaries or restrictions, that rules can be oppressive and no one should tell you how to live your life or what to do. But biblical obedience teaches us that the best place that we can be is in humbling ourselves under a greater authority, one that knows best, one that knows what we need, that boundaries that God creates for us actually set us free to live the life fully that he's created us to live. I think I would say it this way, obedience is impossible, but it's possible. Let me explain that. I would say that the Old Testament that we're currently in right now, so the Old Testament, the New Testament, the story of the Israelites, the law, the the law of Moses, it teaches us that holiness and perfect obedience is impossible to do on our own, in our own sin and rebellion, that we have no way of earning or pleasing God. that we're going to continue to fail in sin. 
that are in our own sin, we will always fail and obey and fail to obey and hold what God's standard is of holiness, that he's perfect, that he's righteous, that he's always going to, to, um, to judge the sin, and that the law and the blood of the Old Testament are going to say we needed a perfect Savior. We've talked about this a lot often. It reminds us the blood that we see throughout the Old Testament reminds us that, that only Jesus could, as the perfect Son of God, be the one that could take on the wrath that we deserve and set us free from our sin. And so where obedience was impossible, it is now made possible through Christ. That through his obedience, through his, even if you think about the, the Garden of Gethsemane, when we walk through the book of Mark, through his agonizing and facing and, and, and knowing what he would step into on the cross, that in him being willing to step forward into that, he made a way for us to be able to live in obedience as well through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of his resurrection. And so I want us to just hear today, like obedience is possible. There might be some moments this past week or moments in our life lately that we've just felt like it's so far away, like I can never be free from, from this stronghold in my life, in my heart. I want you to hear today, obedience is possible. It's only possible through, through Christ. He's made a way for us to experience all that God has for us. Romans 5.19 says it this way, For as by one, man sins disobedience, one man's disobedience, the many who are made sinners, so by the one man's disobedience, the many will be made righteous. So no, we're not made yet perfect. We still struggle with sin. Christ-likeness through obedience becomes our lifelong pursuit. That because of the work of Christ, we are saved from, listen to this, we're saved from the penalty of sin. We're no longer, we're forgiven. God's forgiven us of our sin. We don't have to, experience that wrath, but what it also does is, is God saves us from the power of sin, for the, the power of sin over our daily life, that we don't have to continue to be bound by it. And the hope that we look forward to one day is God sets us free from the, he saves us from the presence of sin when he returns, and he'll remove all of this brokenness from our world. It says in, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now you might be saying, what's that have to do with, with Joshua? I think I just wanted to lay a, a foundation, a, a, just an idea of, like, biblically, real quick, what does it mean when we say obedience? And, and when we say um, following God and it not being this earning our way, but through Christ, it's actually a way in which we can fully live in what he has for us. That actually in our walk with Jesus, it's a lifelong pursuit of looking more like him. And so I think that's, that's what I want to carry us into as we look into this first point, uh, and we will get to Joshua 8, I promise, uh, is obedience is courage. Obedience is courage. If we can remember back to Joshua chapter 1, the very first words uh, that we see in the beginning of the book as Joshua steps into this role as uh, the leader after Moses. God tells him, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not, listen to these words, do not be frightened. 
Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And when first reading these verses at the beginning of our series, um, you pro- I think we all may have thought that the strength and the courage that God's talking about there was probably the drawing of a sword, the great battles that would be faced, Jericho or I or the sun standing still as we'll, as we'll come up in the next uh, following weeks. But I would say now, as we've sat in this, I would argue that even more than the courage for the battles, God called them into a daily courage to trust him over their own ways. And a quote that stuck with me from, from, from one of Drew's sermons at the beginning of the series is by Charles Spurgeon. And he says, obedience is the highest courage. It's like been chewing on that for a while. Like, obedience is the highest courage. Courage is less about the victory, but I think it's the process of just taking that first step into something, continuing in the journey, moving forward into what God says he will do and believing it, and putting ourselves in a place where we're vulnerable, where we're open, where we're open-handed. I think this is exemplified in the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. The previous generation disobeyed, they rebelled, they ignored the grace of God and continued in their own way. They wandered in the wilderness. And now, critically, would these people who just saw the sin of Achan, who saw the wrath of God upon him, it's been appeased, would they be crippled by failure and fear? Like, they just were defeated by this small army. Like, it, it wasn't going to be easy to, like, get up and step into that again. It was humiliating. So these are the words in Joshua 8. Verse 1 through 3, God says, this is the first words he says. It's, it's, just notice the graciousness of God. He's calling them back. How comforting these must have been. He's promising victory again. He says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. Verse 3 says, So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. So we see that God... He, he, he says these same words again that he said in the very beginning of the book. Don't fear. Don't be, don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. I go with you. And now he's reminding them that of it again. How many times in our life have we stepped into a moment of sin or failure or shame and God just graciously is calling us back into his loving presence, into his promises. And what I love and what I highlighted, what I underlined here in verse 3, is that they arose to go up to I. They stepped into obedience. They followed God where he was calling them. I think that's something to celebrate. I think we could skip over that too easily. I mean, again, can you imagine? Just, they're probably thinking about the 36 men that they lost in battle. They're probably thinking about how embarrassing it was that this tiny army defeated their mighty, mighty army. That they shouldn't have even come close to being defeated. That the city of Ai is probably pretty, uh, feeling pretty invincible, that, that they are kind of questioning this great God or these Israelites that crossed over the Jordan. And so I think what principle this reminded me as I studied is that obedience isn't always comfortable. It's all, it often calls us back into familiar places where we've experienced defeat or shame due to sin, 
where we didn't trust God the first time. We can even, even like either feed into that fear and that doubt, or we can trust God's promise. I also think sometimes, at least for me personally, I'm so slow to that obedience. I'm so slow to that, that trust. As I was talking about with my girls, I kind of like sit on it for a while. I'm not, uh, but if you notice, like God says, get up. He calls them to immediate imperative action. There's like five imperatives in the first few verses where God's calling them to obey. Now, for some, I think this morning, uh, it may truly be that you're learning what obedience to Christ looks like. You might be young in your faith and, and putting together, man, what does the Bible look like for the first time? And what does he call us into? But I think for many, last week we might have heard that call, uh, that, that word of, about Achan that, that we need to like, remove sin from our life, quit concealing it. But I think today's passage reminds us that we need to take that next step. That it's not where we just recognize the sin, but that we're willing to take a step into obedience to, to like not live in it and continue in it, to actually repent. For many, we've known for a while the ways of obedience that God has been calling us into, but something in us just keeps hitting the snooze button. So this, this, this quote from Jerry Bridges in The Pursuit of Holiness this really got to me when I read it this week. It says, We pray for victory when we know we should be acting in obedience. We love to pray or talk about, man, I would long for victory. But man, I think we all can think, man, I know there's a step in obedience that I just, I'm not willing to take yet. I think it's part of just acknowledging that courage that it takes to be obedient. So we celebrate victories, but often not enough. We celebrate that initial step into whatever God has called us into. And, and I don't know, maybe this morning, just for practically, it might be a choice to daily meditate on God's word because we know that it's a primary, it's, it's a primary way in which we hear from God. And, and maybe we know that right now uh, obedience looks like um, giving into that rather than letting everything else steal our time, rather than continuing to give the excuse that I just don't have time to be in prayer or to be shaped by God's word, by his truth. But we have time to be shaped by everything else out there, to be a slave to our schedule so much that we lie to ourselves. I think it's an exciting to hear. It's, a, it's part of the beauty of a local church like this. It's been exciting to sit down with so many of you and hear the ways that you're taking that next step in obedience. Like I, I, I get so filled with joy when I hear someone say, man, I just know God's calling me to do this. It was so joyful back with Sam. I, I remember you taking that step in, in obedience to baptism like a few months back. That was a joyful moment to see someone just proclaim what it looks like to, to obey God. What might that be for you this morning? Point number two, obedience is surrender to God's solutions. So this is one of the most exciting battle scenes in the entire book. Like, it's really cool. And I, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to whiteboard it for us. Uh, but it's quite a different battle than the Battle of Jericho. Uh, we see here that, like, victory, uh, they, they both receive victory, but they're both resolved, um, they're, they all, like, both victories require them to obey the command of the Lord, but one victory was, like, miraculous, and the other one was, like, very strategic. One was just, like, the walls falling down, and this one was, like, follow every single word that I command you. One was hard to believe, and today's battle plan matches that, like, of other battle plans that we've seen throughout history, um, and so God was clear that they needed to follow his solutions and not their own. 
Yeah, we need to hear that this morning. We, God calls them and calls us to follow his solutions and not our own. This, the mistake they made the first time was just running into battle, being overconfident in themselves, not consulting with God, being overconfident in, in what they accomplished, maybe even at Jericho. And this battle continues to reveal their strength was in the Lord and not the strategy. Like we can never get to a place where we rely on our, our own ability. At Jericho, I think they learned that in their weakness, God could defeat the greatest of battles, anything ahead of them. But I think what they learned in chapter 7 in the battle of Ai is that when, they're, when we're sinful and self-reliant, that we can be defeated by even the smallest of things. We can be overtaken by, by the smallest of sins that, that just grow in our heart. So let's talk about the battle. Um, move this out of the way. All right, so the children of Israel are now, they've crossed the Jordan River, right? And they made their way. You see a Galilee uh, hunter. I learned how to draw this from you, the little balloon shape and all that. So um, they made their way up to Gilgal, and ouch, that was a painful experience. That's, that's where they consecrated themselves before the Lord in circumcision, if you remember that. Um, and then they made their way down to Jericho. They march around the walls, and it is an incredible victory that God gives them, and uh, the whole city is destroyed. Um, and now, we, last week, we had this journey to, um, to Ai, but we, we saw that they were defeated. They were overconfident. They ran into battle without cons- consulting the Lord, and they were defeated. Um, and now what we're going to see is, is God is giving them a, stri- a, a pretty cool strategy, an ambush strategy. And what he, he calls them to do is he calls them, I'm sorry if you can't see me, see over here, but he calls them to take some of their men and come and set up over here between Bethel and I. And so they, they're kind of doing like a sneak attack. You know, I picture them on their tiptoes. They go at night. They make their way around where the, the people and I can't see them. They're trying not to laugh or to talk too loud. If my kids were part of that, like, marching, it wouldn't happen. They, they don't know how to whisper. I'm like, okay? But they made their way over here, and, and they're waiting in ambush. And uh, there's about um, 5,000 of them. Okay? And then the other group makes their way over to... Um, like above I, and there's like a little ravine here, um, and they, there's 25,000 of them. And so they are right here, and so there's a little bit of a like kind of boundary between them so that uh, the people and I can't just like immediately run after them. Um, but the next day it says Joshua slept with the people. He slept in the camp with them, he, you know, some cool leadership principles there. Uh, but the next day they come out, and there's like this flat ground here, which is probably like the battlefield. This is where... They face each other, and um, they, they bring their, their 25,000 men out to here, um, and the people of Ai, they, you know, their adrenaline's probably Russian, right? They've just defeated in that first battle, and so they see the people of Israel, and they come out to fight, and the people of Israel, following um, the instructions of God to Joshua, they do this little, like, retreat, like, oh, no, they're coming after us, like, we're scared. And so they retreat this way. And as they retreat, as they fake it, they, they aren't really scared. They go the other way. Um, these guys back here, still whispering, still giggling, still being quiet. But they, they sneak into the city. 
and they defeat, they take ambush. Because it actually says, I think what's interesting is um, the overconfidence of I in this moment. They actually, everybody leaves the city. And so they leave their entire city vulnerable, and they, they just take over the city. And, and it, so there's this crazy moment where uh, the, the army of I looks back, and they see smoke, and they see their home and their city um, taken over by the children of Israel. And then they look the other direction, and they see the Israel army, haha, we were just kidding, coming back. And they are coming back to fight uh, the, the army of Ai, and they overtake them and they defeat them. And so there's this victory through this ambush, um, and they, they overtake Ai, and, and then they make their way, we'll talk about it here in a second, from there, they make their way up to um, Shechem. There's 12,000 men, or the army of 12,000 that were defeated uh, in Ai. So that's just a little whiteboard action for you. Uh, maybe try to draw it this week just for fun. But it's really cool. It's like this crazy strategy that God gives them, but it is really in the details. Like follow, God says, follow, follow specifically what I'm calling you to do. And as, um, as Joshua is in battle, as they are attacking um, the people of Ai, as they return this way, um, before, before they do, uh, jo- uh, Joshua holds up a javelin. And that was the sign for the uh, people in ambush to, to run into the city. And it's kind of this like callback. You know the story of Moses to this, these moments where uh, it's a, just a clear symbol of, of God being the one that gives victory. And, and he held this javelin in the air and uh, held it up until uh, the entire battle was over and defeated. And uh, we see by the end of the passage here that the king of Ai is captured and he's hung on a tree. He's buried under a heap of stones. So now we have another pile of stones. We've seen that stones offer reminders for the people. It signified God's victory there in that moment. So practically, I, just, I think this calls us to seek God's word, seek God's instruction, seek him in prayer when, when we need that next step of obedience, when, when we're stepping back into whatever God has for us, we need to consult him before running forward in our decisions. And, God, when, and when God gives us a direction, when God gives us clarity, when God gives us the next step, follow his plan. Like don't try to shortcut it. Don't try to make your own way. I think sometimes uh, when God gives us a plan that's a little more ordinary or requires a lot more patience, uh, we, we, uh, we don't get too excited about that. But God knows what's best in the long run for us. What's also interesting is that if only Achan would have waited. <laughs> in this battle, God actually allows them to take the spoils of the, of the battle. And so, strangely, in this, um, in this battle, they actually get to take home um, you know, the, the different treasures that... that we're in I, and I think um, God allows them to, he shows them grace. He gives them blessing. Um, and sometimes I think we grow too impatient with what God is doing and that we miss out on the blessing that he wants to give us because we, we're, we're trying to shortcut. We want, like Achan, we just want to grab what's ours. We just want to have it right away. And God this whole time is just like, no, I know what's best. Trust me. So obedience is less about the victory and more about the process. It often leads to pain before it leads to comfort. Yes, I know that's not exciting to hear. It often leads to pain, to patience, to long-suffering before it leads to comfort. But Jesus is with us in every moment. 
He was pre- precise in this battle, and, and, and uh, God wants us to walk with him. So last point here is obedience is worship. Joshua 8, 30 through 33. So they go from this battle of victory, and the first thing they do is they go up north about 20 miles to this, this area called Shechem. And it's this really beautiful moment where the people of Israel worship God. If you remember that earlier in the the book, they did that through consecrating and they did that through Passover. And now you have this other anchor point in the the book and the journey of the people of Israel here in Joshua where where they they set up an altar and they worship God. It says in, in verse 30, At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. The people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man was, has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. What's amazing about this spot is that historically this was where Abraham first received that, that, that call, that covenant from God, that, he would, that God was going to give them the land of promise. So now they are walking uh, seeing this promise fulfilled, standing upon the ground in which God initially told them to step into obedience. It's incredible. It says in Genesis 12, 6-7, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to, you, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. What a cool moment of, of just realizing full circle God's goodness, worshiping him, reflecting on that. In Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 3, we actually see that what they're stepping into in this little scene was something that God, through Moses, commanded them to do once they were in the land. So Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 3, it says, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I commanded you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised. So now, like even just this moment of worship is obedience because it's what they were called to do once they got to this place in the journey. They're standing in a place where God was now going to be worshipped. Uh, for the generations to come. They, they set up this altar, not only for themselves, but for this to be a place in the land that, that the generations after them would see. Like, this is, God is, is the one that we're, we're, has given us this land. Like, we claim this land in the name of God, but we are, are more importantly here to worship and be in his presence. It connected them to their history. And I think all of this was centered this process, this moment, this ceremony is centered around joyfully hearing God's word and hiding it in their hearts. It says that Joshua, before the people, he read the whole book of the law over the people. It says he didn't leave one word out. I think it's an important detail. He's very much every word. We need to soak in all the word that God has for us. It's a powerful moment in which this public reading in, in, in their community, they were able to all say we are committed to what God has for us. It says, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. According to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that, Jesus, or that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones. 
and the sojourners who lived among them. You just get the sense they savor this moment. Every word. It's a beautiful picture of an entire community orienting their lives around God's will and way. It says that, in the, if you go, go back and read it this week, it says that the Ark of the Covenant was at the center of the way in which they arranged themselves. So you've got this symbol of the presence of God amongst this people who are hearing his promises read over them, longing for them to, to hear it in a way that they live it out. You notice the diversity that's found in the description. It was everybody. It was kids. It was, it was women. It was children. It was, it was dads. It was even sojourners, even those that weren't Israelites, but those that were willing to follow God's will, to follow God's law, that they were included in this. You can't read this portion of the story and miss that God calls us to do these things in community. That we get to look around and see uh, that, that the local church, that, that we get to be an active part of like this process of, of pursuing God, of pursuing holiness together. That we need one another in that. I love that right now in Kids Rock, um, the Word of God is being read over my children. That we're, we're discipling and, and, and doing those things together. What I think I want to end on is just um, really this idea that obedience is worship. That it's an act of love towards God for his glory. That we don't obey out of obligation or to earn anything or fear. It's a way to walk in relationship with God. And maybe you feel like, man, I'm just lacking a like, sense of joy in worship. It, it might be that you're lacking obedience in your life in some way. That there may be areas of disobedience that need to be given over to God. And obedience or pursuing holiness doesn't start always with a physical action, but in the heart, or that our motive is just as important as our step of action. Obedience that is pleasing to God starts with the right motive combined with the right action. The illustration that, um, that, that I read this week that, that I thought was just so good, I don't, do we have any runners in the room? Any runners? Some runners? Yeah. So there, there's, you know, a lot of times three different types of runners. There's, there's the runners that um, they run... Uh, the first person out of fear. <laughs> like they worry about the consequences if they don't run and stay healthy and they don't necessarily enjoy it, but they're pushing themselves to do it. The second one, they, they run out of, for the benefits. So the thing, you know, you can sleep and eat better or the, the shape that you can get in uh, when you run. But then there truly are those people that, man, they just run because they love it. They are running and they can run and run and run because of because it truly is a reward. It truly is a joy. You see, the first and second, they're, they're running um, out of love for health and food and sleep. Running is an instrument uh, that they, they use to gain what they desire. But the third person, they're running as an end to itself, as, as a, a, a just place of joy in their hearts. And I think that that's a good picture of, of obedience. So much we see it as this painful step but when we truly are uh, right in our heart and our motives for stepping into what God's called us to do, it can actually be a place where we just realize we are giving joy and worship to God. I think the illustration for you this morning, for me, that I've uh, even embarrassed to even say, for me, there, I think uh, there's something beautiful about these moments of renewal that the Israelites go through, and we, we go through that as a church. 
Back, if you think back to um, Lent, uh, that, that season before Easter where we, we search ourselves and we, we pray, God, would you help us to give up things in our lives that, that are, are like distracting us from you. And for me, I knew that my phone was just increasingly just distracting me. Like the apps that are on my phone, the, the time limits or the time that just kind of like can kind of get out of hand throughout the week, Facebook or, or Instagram, or for me it's like ESPN, or even just searching whatever I want. And I would say around that time, I knew that was something that when I thought about Lent, what God wanted me to like, like fast on and give up more time, I knew that was something that, that was becoming just a place that I didn't want it to be. It was unhealthy. It was distracting me. But I didn't immediately like take that step of courage in, in obeying him and in, in finding ways to remove that in my life. And so uh, that, that first step of obedience is courage. Like it was delayed. Um, and then as I as I've realized like how much of a distraction it is, how much it feels like it's just always there, that the solution for it, I want to be that person that can just like, like manage it like without having to set any limitations or anything. But I realized it's just not me. Like, I, like if, I have it on, if I delete my ESPN app, I can go on the internet and I'll go on my browser and I'll get to ESPN and I'll fill my, the next hour, you know, um, stealing my time. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying these things are bad. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a bad thing to enjoy what resources we have. But for me, that was what God was calling me to, to like, surrender more to. Um, and so that's that second point, like, surrendering to God's plan for that. Um, but then, strangely, what I found is as I took the steps to, to set all the time limits, to actually not even be able to add apps on my phone, to not have uh, the browser, like, I can't get on any of those, like, it feels really restrictive, right? <laughs> You're like, somebody asked me a question, I can't look it up. Like, I, I don't have internet on my phone. It feels weird. But what, I, what I've been surprised by is the joy and the freedom that is felt in that. That by through the boundaries of, of stepping into obedience in that, it actually is freeing to the rest of my life, to my time. And I think um, that, for me, has been an example of worship, because now... I've learned this from a friend who's done similar things, and on his phone, it says, focus is worship. When he looks at his phone and realizing that uh, instead of giving ourselves over to this, now I'm reminded throughout the day when I pick up my phone that like, even like, my time is worship to him now, the little moments. So hopefully, practically, that helps us just think, what are some ways in which we can take that next step? Sometimes it's more simple than, than we feel. So the first thought is, obedience is courage. Obedience is surrender to God's solutions, and obedience is worship. I'm going to ask Sam to come up um, and play, uh, just strum for us a little bit on guitar, and we just always like to take time. As we end uh, a passage, as, we, as we've as we sat in the Word of God, I just want to give you a moment to, re- to reflect, to pray, to respond to God, to, to think about maybe ways in which he's, he's calling you to take that next step in obedience. Maybe last week it was, it was something where God revealed the sin that... That, that was concealed, that, that's been powerfully um, just weighing you down, bring, bringing you shame, but maybe now it's God just helping you see that he calls you to not be fearful or discouraged or feel chained to that, but he calls you to, to step into the freedom that he gives through the power of his resurrection to, to not live in that. So I'm going to pray, and, and we'll give a few minutes, and I'll come back and end in prayer. God, we... We thank you for 
the journey. God, we thank you that um, we get to do this together, and we thank you for, for what we get to see throughout the book of Joshua. It's just hard to miss that you just keep calling them to trust and belief that, that uh, following you isn't this passive thing that's just going to happen to them, but you've empowered them, you've provisioned for them to take steps in aligning their lives to follow you. And in the same way, God, we, we ask that you would help us to take those same steps, that through Jesus, through the cross, through the obedience, that uh, Jesus made a way for us to, to not live under sin and for us to increasingly throughout our life grow in your likeness, to pursue holiness, to not be given over to our brokenness and to long for the day where you return and restore it all. And so God, I pray that uh, there would be some joy in celebrating obedience this morning, that there would be conversations that happen after this where, where brothers and sisters are holding each other accountable to living out this faith. We love you. In your name, amen.